Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Chris Kresge's lowest rated episode on the TNN network. How dare you start the grieving process without me? That no family member or anybody not invited should not get involved in this. But I really felt, I mean, I really, from the bottom of my heart, felt that you should take a look at this. Whoa! Oh, oh, my oh my God! Oh my God! In case you didn't hear, I admit, I did it. I ran over Austin. It's a good thing the criminal charges were dropped. And you ask why? Damn right. I didn't do it for me. No, I didn't do it for me. I did it for The Rock. What? I did it for The Rock. So how are you this week, Dan? I'm pretty good, thank you, mate. It's been uh, it's it started out as a bit of a week, but got progressively better. Had a had a nice little day today, uh, or as nice as a day at work can be. And I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into this episode of Raw. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Do you know that today is the first day of Oktoberfest? Is it? It is indeed. It's a good job of drinking, then. It is. It is. I, mean, I, know, it's, I know it's out of character, but I actually think I've got a bottle that I'm drinking at the moment. We'll come on to what I'm drinking, but I think you brought it over last Oktoberfest, and it's been at the back of the cupboard. <laughs> It sounds about right, because if, if I remember rightly, I did bring a box of uh, German beers over, I think. A lot of months and a lot of beers ago, though, so it's hard to uh, hard to keep track. But you mentioned about Oktoberfest with the beer world in the connection to wrestling in the wider world. Uh, I caught a bit of question of sport tonight as I was dishing my tea up, and the question was on Anthony Gogo, and they were actually referencing his wrestling career on the BBC. They didn't name drop AEW, because obviously BBC ITV. But it was uh, very nice to hear him dropping his uh, dropping his nickname. The fact he's wrestling and his finishing move and all the rest of it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought the BBC would have dignified it. I could just imagine the embarrassment when they said something like WWF AEW wrestler Antonio Gogo. <laughs> no, there was none of that. Thankfully, no companies mentioned. Oh, it's, it's good to get in some mainstream exposure. So, More than the bad out of ITV recently. That's a good thing. It is. Fuck it, I think my dad was shouting me about the football he's watching Leeds. <laughs> Dirty team peacocks. <laughs> do you want to do the introduction for our guest, Dan? This is the most challenging thing I've ever had to do. Because I've, I normally do the shithouse introduction. And I've got to find a way to try and roast possibly the nicest person we've ever met through Twitter. So I'm not even going to try. It's Scottish Danny, one of the best eggs out there. How are you doing, pal? Hello, guys. Thank you for having me on again. I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Yeah, yep. good, thanks. All the better for having you back, pal. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Absolute delight. Last time we had you on the show, making your podcasting debut, when I understand you're already taking bookings elsewhere. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Soon you'll have left us behind sort of thing, but it's it's nice to be there on the ground floor. No, I'm like uh, Buff Bagwell is to WCW, just loyal to the end. 
<laughs> Funny enough, I was I've just started listening to the Crime and Sports episode on Buff Bagwell, so that'll be fun. <laughs> so I, only, I only discovered today that Buff Bagwell has his own podcast. I think he's on like episode seven or something. So I've um, subscribed to it. I haven't had a chance to listen to any of it yet, but uh, I'm imagining that's probably going to be some amazing car crash uh, podcasting. Yes. So I'm all up for that. So I might have to give that a go. <laughs> well, with it being the first day of Oktoberfest, uh, is anyone drinking today? Danny? Yep. I'm having uh, my usual JD and Coke here. And then uh, later on, I've got a cactus-flavoured Red Bull because we do get a Cactus Jack cameo as the commissioner when he was Mick Foley. So, yeah. Nice. I like the tie. Very well done. I've um, had my Beer 52 delivery, so I'm making my way through a couple of them. First up, Bad News Beer Company. What's this called? I don't even know. Now, a Snappy APA, which isn't bad. It's, um, it's another one of those from Beer 52 that's just a middle-of-the-road IPA, but nothing offensive. Then I've got Carmen by Carnival Brewing. I've got an Avans IPA. And then I've got a, a small fire Campfire Marshmallow Stout by Alter Ego. How many have you got on the side there? Uh, I've got four. Oh, stepping it up. If they get warm, though, that's the problem. With it being the first day of Oktoberfest, I've got uh, Schneidlo Eyes. It's the original tap number seven. Let's say German beer at 5.4%. Then I'm going to go on to a Kirksel Brewery Gelato Tropical Fruited Ice Cream Sour. We had a really good time when we went to Kirksel Brewery, didn't we? We did, yeah. With young Samuel and the Bishop. We did. Now, I don't know how good this is going to be, because this was on the uh, the Whoop style at Asda, you know, where everything's like dented or whatever. This one isn't actually dented, you know, so we shall, we shall see how it is, but uh, maybe there's a bad sign that it was there. I can't um, wait for you to open that can and it just explode and take out your entire feed so that we can't see or hear you. And then I've got um, Cornet Oaks. I should have had this when we were uh, doing the Jim Cornet episodes. It's a uh, strong Belgian blonde at uh, 8.5%. And it seems like it was made for the Australian market because it says in whichever territory or state I purchased this, I can take it back to the shop and get a 10 cents refund on the bottle. That is worth a trip to Australia alone. Exactly. Exactly. You'd have a valid receipt, but you know, you just see, you just see, didn't they probably give you ten cents? Uh, I think we found a way of making a lot of money here, Dan. But we do have to drink a lot of beer. And that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Excellent. So now it's time for the beer sommelier section of the show, where the listeners can sit back and relax. They can choose whether the virtual Nia Jax or the virtual Jade Cargo or Storyline seem to be abandoned now, but this is a podcast about the past. And we'll be the virtual Reginald or the virtual Smart Mark Sterling and make a recommendation for something to drink while they're watching this episode of Monday Night Raw. So do you have any recommendations, Danny? Yep, I'll just say Jack Daniels straight because you'll... you'll... (laughs) (laughs) you'll uh, be far gone before the uh, main event which was terrible but we'll get into that later on (laughs) oh we certainly will we're getting these reviews in the beer sommelier section aren't we i think that's where most people tend to try and (laughs) sneak in the early review the first one to be smarky (laughs) so what's your little in joke then dan (laughs) um i don't have one this week i've gone for uh, a beer called Mrs. Simpson's Thriller in Vanilla, which is a vanilla porter at 5.1% by Brown Cow. Uh, I gave it a 3.75 and untapped. In hindsight, 
I underrated it because it was on in the uh, the volunteer arms at the time, which was a few years back. It's come back on and it is bloody lovely. So I don't know if it's just a better batch or whatever, but it certainly deserves a higher rating than that. You've actually got a nice little tie in there because this was in the Joe Lewis arena. So there's a boxing connection and Thriller in Vanilla is linked to Thriller in Manila. So the Muhammad Ali. See, I was just testing you. I wondered if you'd spot that. <laughs> well, I've actually also gone the boxing-themed beer route. I've gone for Boris Sitrov from Saddler's Brewery, which is a boxing-themed beer. I don't think they managed to get a license with any boxer, so they made up their own boxing character. Because it's marmalade-infused, he has oranges instead of boxing gloves on the end of his arms. I like it. It's a 4.5% pale ale from Saddler's Brewery. It's one that both Beth and I actually gave 2.75 to an untapped. Not bad. And talking about uh, Beth, it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week isn't a beer, but a cider in Stella Arpad, Sidra. So Beth's Beer of the Week there was Sidra by Stella Artois at 4.5%. I think she actually gave um, a different Sidra from a different brewery, but she's gone for the, the mainstream one this time. So she's had two Sidras, but different breweries. This is... The one, and because it's Stella, it's got two out of five, and I think that's probably quite generous. I actually don't mind Stella Cedra. It's not awful. You know, if you're you really stuck for something to drink, it's fine. But you have to be pretty bloody stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so the show that we're reviewing today, as I say, it's the lowest rated of the time that um, Chris Kresge was head of creative when they were on the TNN network. Last episode, we explained why they'd moved from USA and to TNN, the legal case that was involved. So in terms of the ratings, when he was writing the show on USA, they had an average of 6.11. He wrote that for 49 episodes. So they're going to do seven episodes on TNN with an average of 5.23. Although in all fairness, uh, I believe TNN is in less homes, so... Perhaps you wouldn't expect as many. And that compares to when Stephanie McMahon is going to become the overall head of creative, although Kresge will still be sort of working under her at the time. And to the end of the Monday Night Wars from that period, she has an average of 4.92. The highest rated episode is actually the one that follows this. It's next week. That has a uh, rating of 5.5. And as you say, this one's got a rating of 4.8. As I mentioned earlier, the show comes from the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, although JR on commentary says they're in Des Moines, Iowa, so I think he'd <laughs> got lost chasing his tail at that point. There's it's no hard, way. though, isn't it? It's hard for wrestlers and then ring crew and commentators. When you're in a different city every every couple of days or every week, whatever, it, no, it's no wonder it slips a mind occasionally. Yeah. I remember our truth kind of promo once, you know, where, where he'd, uh, he'd sort of come out and he'd do his little song. And I think he shouted, uh, Green Bay, what's up? And he, he got a chorus. in Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they turn that into a gimmick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah with him forgetting where it was. But it's a perfect way to get heel heat, though, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but our truth made it endearing. Yeah. Maybe not so much in Jim Ross's case. There's no record of what the crowd was. Jim Ross claimed on commentary that there was 17,488 people in the building, and he claimed that was a sellout. The record attendance in this building is 21,000, and that's from the 23rd of February 1990, uh, and that was for WWF The Main Event 3, which 
had a TV rating, bearing in mind this is 4.8, uh, the main event three had a TV rating of 12.8. Jesus. Now, these are special events that they used to put on network television. So this would have been like on NBC rather than TNN. So, yeah. you know, available in a lot more homes. It's only like an hour-long show. It was Hogan, Savage, and Warrior versus Dino Bravo were the only matches on the card. But, but you know. sometimes less is more. Exactly. This is an historic arena. Three Survivor Series, two Halloween Havoc, Vengeance, Royal Rumble, Over the Limit, and Night of Champions have all been uh, at this arena. I was going to say, I, I, I remembered the name Joe Louis Arena, and it, it must have just bled in from that. Like you said, when you run that down, that's uh, that's a lot going on. And obviously, it's, a, it's the Red Wings uh, ice hockey team as well. Yeah, you're going to have cold sweats down, though, because one of those Survivor Series was Survivor Series 91. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> oh, I just uh, oh, never mind walking over my grave. I think Vince McMahon was just dancing on it. He's <laughs> thrown up on your grave. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just taking a piss. <laughs> so now it's time to go through our top five events of the show, whether they be good, bad, or just talking points, and we'll come to a collective one between us. So, Danny, is your guest? What's your first one? So the first one I would say was definitely the Rikishi interview. Rikishi normally gets panned as a heel, but I really thought, felt that this interview was sort of like a Roman Reigns type thing. I know that's that may be a wild comparison, but I think this is the best I've ever seen Rikishi, to be honest with you. He was so serious. There was no comedy in this, and he just looked great. Superb. He definitely sat down. He's got his... He's changed his whole demeanour, which a lot of people say is what exactly what you need to do as a heel. You you remove everything that made you popular. Bailey did it, you know, most recently. That's the most notable one I can think of off the top of my head. Bailey, she she actually killed her wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men <laughs> on stage with an axe. <laughs> and you know, changed the haircut, changed absolutely everything. So Rikishi sits down and he just has that. It's, it's it's in his first sense. You can ask me a question or what? It's like he's got this fuck you attitude when before he's been just the the happy, smiling, dancing, chunky boy with uh, with too cool. Mm. You know, up to this point, it's definitely notable because this is such an infamous storyline now. That and, and you know everybody mocks it. I did it for the rock <laughs> and all of that, but I'd I'd forgotten that this interview existed, and obviously I watched it at the time and. Rikishi was, like you said, probably as, as eloquent as I've ever heard him. Just absolutely, really off, just no fucks given. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and on the last episode that we reviewed, we saw that, you know, they had Test coming back for revenge against Triple H after, you know, Triple H had uh, stolen Stephanie away from him on his wedding day sort of thing. And you know, 11 months later... Testers set up Triple H by calling the police, saying that you know, spousal abuse, and it, and it was an absolute damp squib. It was like a two-minute squash match, and it was, you know, just ridiculous. This, I mean, they've planned this. This is exactly a year on from the point that it happened. It's the same arena. Everything that that test and Triple H one wasn't, this was. Yeah, so they did this extremely well and, and made it feel important 
Whether that goes on and continues at uh, the pay-per-view, I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> having been <laughs> to look like a clown. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you don't count what happened six days from today, what happened on this episode, that I thought was excellent. There was a certain amount of sort of logic twisting, uh, mental gymnastics that Rikishi did to justify his actions that I think any good sort of heel needs. It's like, it's like um, Bobby, It's obviously it's not on the same level, but things like, I was reading a thread on Bobby Heenan today and his best quotes, and it, it's like, oh, well, Marty Jannetty was trying to jump out the window to escape Shawn Michaels. <laughs> you know, what a coward. There was a, a, just a hint of that going on, which yeah. to me made, just made it all the better. And he's like, yeah, I did what I did. I'd do it again. My family love it. People back home love it. Rock's my family. You know, it, it, deep down, he loves it. And it's this deluded, yes. this deluded shit. But he's also finally start, finally realizing that he is a massive, tough motherfucker. So it's time to, you know, time to flex a little bit. Time to use that. Yeah, I'm more than happy to put this on the top five. To be fair, it, I didn't I didn't explicitly have this on the top five. I'd kind of put down basically the Stone Cold and Rikishi interactions through the night, but. I mean, this is kind of what makes that important. Yeah, I, I didn't specifically have this either, but I had the Stone Cold promo later, and I don't think, in hindsight, now that Danny's brought it up, I don't think you can put one promo on without putting the other on. I don't know. I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by Stone Cold's promo. I thought it was going to be kind of amazing. And because Stone Cold is such a good promo, it didn't kind of live up to that level where I think you're right, Danny, that the fact that we're getting this new lick of paint on Rikishi and it's something completely different that we're not seeing from him before. It's like a step on from him and it's maybe not a great day at the office for Stone Cold, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but even a, even an average day at the office for Stone Cold is still better than, uh, <laughs> the vast, than the vast majority of people. It's like, it's like when if you watched a sports team go out and, you know, if you say Man City running roughshod, winning, you know, winning left, right and centre, you know, they're winning three, four, five, nil every week. And then one week they scrape a 2-1. Yeah, but this is the whole point that um, big, you know, big teams have the luxury of playing a certain way, you know, historically, you know, they they would, well, the the joke is the West Ham way, although they're not a big team. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, you know, Barcelona have to win a certain way, whereas Huddersfield Town, a draw's a win, really, isn't it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, this all stems from me agreeing with you badly, Rob, about the whole uh, having the angle uh, as part of the part of the top five. But I'm happy whichever way you want to go with it. If it's just the Rikishi promo that Danny brought up, or the whole angle. Yeah, I'm happy to put it on the list. Yeah, I think we've got our first one there. What's your next one, Dan? Right, my first point has got to be Al Snow versus William Regal. Al Snow coming out in a purple and yellow and black checkered suit, doing an actually surprisingly decent English accent. I say, what does everybody want? Head smashing. So he went on Nigel Thornbury and, you know, does his whole stick. And I say, what does everybody need? Head Indubitably, 
and I want to hear what does everybody love? Head and grand cheerio. And, you know, that's all very stereotypical stuff, but I'll somehow made it actually quite humorous. And I just never thought on this podcast that I would be writing out that a wrestler came out to Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. <laughs> so I could drop a classical music reference in, although I only know that that music is what it is because of the movie V for Vendetta. <laughs> but then uh, Regal comes out, he's all business. He wants his European title. He's announced as the United Kingdom's goodwill ambassador, William Regal, and promptly wallops Al Snow in the back of the head while he's getting undressed. <laughs> which is just, which was just a great bit of timing. Just a great bit of timing. So Regal's beaten down in the corner. Al fights out, reverses the whip. Regal reverses the hip toss. So this is actually a pretty bloody good wrestling match, which you'd expect from Regal. But it's easy to forget sometimes that Al Snow's a good hand in his own right. There's one point where Regal just grabs, he grabs like a, is it a million dollar dream, like a cross-faced chicken wing? He does, yes. Um, which was just great to see. There wasn't a vast amount of notable spots in the match, but one thing I did like, Regal kept hitting European uppercuts. And at one point towards the end of the match, Al Snow just started dodging it, like he'd been learning from his mistakes, which was just a really cool little touch. But then the... Uh, to go to the end, Regal hits a German for two. Al Snow's pretty much just pops straight back up, slams Regal, goes to the top. Regal gets his knees up on the moonsault, locks in the Regal stretch for the submission, and we have a, a fairly rare singles title change in a new European champion. But, yeah, it just goes on for being a, a really bloody good match. Entertainment from Al Snow and just Regal generally being brilliant. What do you think, Danny? Well, was this the last of um, Al Snow dressing up as different nations? Did he ever win back the bill? I don't honestly know. I didn't know that was the gimmick. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll have to have a look. Yeah, but he, he did brilliant. <laughs> I would say, how can you not love William Regal? I mean, his facials are the best. And how beautiful was, was the European Championship? It was really, I really liked the design of it. Gorgeous. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Really well. Regal won it from Al Snow in the October, lost it to Crash Holly uh, in December at Rebellion, won it two days later, went back two days later on Raw, lost it to Test, Eddie Grove. No, I don't think Al Snow ever got it back. Oh, yeah. He was, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. I have to go back and watch some of that because I'd completely blanked that from my memory. Yeah, I think he uh, dressed up as somebody representing France, somebody representing Sweden, things like that. It's funny you should say that, Danny, because when I went through and sort of made a note of all the of titles, I didn't notice that Al Snow was, you know, dressed up in British gear with the Union flag behind him on the title and trying on the card. So I, I wrote down the Al Snow versus William Regal. And then in my head, and I haven't sort of rewatched it since the time, so I don't know if this happened or it's just something I made up. And I've been joking about, you know, Kurt Angle being the European champion because he's from Bolton, that kind of thing. And I was just like making myself laugh with the idea that Al Snow was from La Rochelle and, you know, he'd come out and he'd be like, <laughs> Qu'est-ce que tout le monde veut? And the crowd would be like, it's at. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just, I had that image in my head and then I watched the show and he came out with this and I'm like, oh my God, that, that's pretty much exactly what, you know, I'd have booked for this. So I, I probably just ripped that off from him actually doing it. It could still work today. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd be all up for that. It's, it's a real shame. Um, the company me and Robbie used to go to Southside. They before they closed the uh, closed up shop and sold to uh, Rev Pro, they'd introduced a European Championship. Oh. So I'd have loved to have seen like somebody doing an indie version of that. Definitely. Yeah, that would have been brilliant. But yeah, I, I really loved this. I thought it was absolute comedy genius. You know, and you always get a great match out of William Regal, don't you? Yeah, I, I can't think of him having a bad match that wasn't with Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, I'm more than happy to put this one on the list. Danny, you uh, in agreement? Oh, yep, 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 I am, yeah. Yep, superb, so two for two. We're making a habit of this. Yeah, so, I mean, we've got two really good things here, haven't we, you know? For this show, we've started out really well. We've got two really good things, so I think it's bullshit o'clock because I'm going to go for something that was fucking awful. Um, <laughs> and I am going to go for Test and Albert playing poker against the APA. They run out of the money, and Trish comes in, and JBL says that he's got another idea, and they start playing strip poker, but it's only Trish that's stripping. But the start of this segment, JR says, well, you know, it's like a flashback. Let's go and see how Teston Albert and Trish, quote unquote, set up the acolytes. And the great setup they had was to lose at poker continually till Trish was completely naked on network television. And then they just, Teston Albert punched the APA. I, I mean, don't think Lala knows what setup means. That was JR. Oh, was it JR? Oh, sorry, I just uh, yeah. automatically assume any shit commentary calls Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we got some, you know, just awful lines through the, this whole thing. You know, the, there was a bit where I think there was Michael Cole's voice in there shouting, keep on losing. You know, we got JBL shouting, let the melons loose. And when they actually had. The match with APA versus Test and Albert. Jerry Lawler, when they were on the way to the ring, said, I found a deck of cards. Come here, Trish. She's already got a winning pair. Yeah, it's fucking gross. And that, that is typical King. Yeah. Uh, and just basically all the way through the match, it was Jerry Lawler innuendo. In terms of the match itself, you know, if we, if we do the, the tack approach to watching wrestling and turn the sound off, this was an all right match for, you know, some big guy, a big guy tag team match. It was a half decent cross tag. Yeah. But there was a lot of bullshit with it. And for, for that, it's set off the bullshit alarm. So <laughs> the bullshit alarm may be hint, hint, coming back in a couple of weeks' time. Superb. But yeah, I, I'm tempted to veto it purely for the fact that all the really bad shit with the strip poker and all that crap actually happened on the week before, and this was just a replay. Oh no, this was early in the, earlier in the night. This wasn't was the week before. Yeah, no, it was. This was Sunday night here. Oh, because, was it? Um, right. I do remember it on Channel Four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was definite. I cannot believe they showed this in the middle of the afternoon before The Simpsons, nonetheless. On I was, Channel 4. I was, was going to say, say, did it air before Euro Trash? 
Channel 4 used to put a little logo in the corner of the screen when they're doing risque content at night, but uh, I can't imagine they're doing that in the middle of the, uh, you know, <laughs> middle of the day before countdown. <laughs> oh, that, that was on Channel 5 at the time. Yeah, it was, it was distasteful. What, what, did, uh, what did you think, Danny? Oh, that it just ruined it for me, to be honest with you. I wish they just kind of just had the match there, and if they had to do that, just show it somewhere else, maybe on the website or something. Just have them lose at poker and beat each other up. Yeah, that's fair. Have Funaki running or bloody Crash Holly or something. Make it entertaining, you know? (laughs) They could have done what they did to the APA at any point before Trish was completely naked. Yeah, it it would have actually been better if they'd have just teased Trish taking a top off or something and as the APA, you know, entranced, then have... Test and Albert jump them. There was no need for the gratuitous nudity, but this was. I'm, I'm not defending it. It's just this is just a fact of the fact of the matter. This was the sex sells era where where it was more salacious the better, and they did not give a fuck. And it's complete. It's complete crap. The the one thing I will give this segment the first hand the APA won they got Trish's left boot. <laughs> I don't so, understand the reference. Well, no, it was just a case that they thought she was going to be like, you know, showing the goods and she's just taking the shoe off. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought there was some, like, in-joke that I was supposed to be getting there. No, no, it's, it's just <laughs> that that wasn't quite as salacious as they were hoping it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Danny, I, I, think I, I think I cut you off there. Oh, no, no, I didn't. No, I was just going to say, um, imagine going from the NWA world champion to this. <laughs> <laughs> as Farouk, <laughs> he did work with Sonny, so you know. Oh yes, <laughs> I, I've completely blocked that part of his career out of my mind. I what with his skinny little tin file helmet? Yeah, the <laughs> only reason the only reason I know it happened now is because of uh, a change in attitude. Because they've been covering it, but I cannot remember it for the life of me. Like actual, just I have no recollection of actually watching it. So what you're saying is that Mags made the whole thing up? Yes. He's a bullshit artist. <laughs> so anyway, you're vetoing that one, so this one doesn't uh, get on the uh, top five. Well, we can so, see in it for now, see what else comes Yeah, up. of course we can. But actually, what did you reckon, Danny? Would you have put it on? I We could veto that because um, I, I've got so much more to put on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my thought as well. <laughs> so what's your next one, Danny? This one was for good. It was the fabulous work of Stevie Richards tonight. I mean, not only did he commentate when Triple H was having a match with Kane, but he also had he also came back out later and managed Val Venus, and then he also <laughs> beat down Triple H. So, I mean, he did brilliant tonight. He really did. So, yep. Well, you'll be happy to know that I gave the real Stevie Richards my MVP of the show last week. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> But he got a really good promo, the real Stevie Richards, uh, mm. last mm. week. I think the real Stevie Richards um, was quite quiet on this show. The, the scene deleted Stevie Richards. That's <laughs> maybe another. <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. uh, what Chris Benoit, I would say, for the good, what Chris Benoit did to Triple H, looking strong, that would definitely go for a good, because I was not expecting that in this era of Triple H looking weak. He even uh, Triple H even appeared with a sling at near the end of the show as well. I was really shocked 
But um, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to know what happened at the pay per view. I'm assuming Chris Benoit lost, but yeah, that one goes at the top. Yeah. I was actually surprised by Chris Benoit on commentary because he'd never been the greatest promo on Nitro, and I'd, it's probably it's a different skill commentating to pro, a promo. In to be fair, but horrible human being that he is i think he did a decent job of commentary on this show yeah he did i was like you said pleasantly surprised never the best talker but did a really good job here and it actually feeds into uh, daddy bringing that up feeds into what would have been my next point which was the match he was commentating on because let's be fair i was always going to talk about kane Um, (laughs) so how, how do you feel about joining forces danny and invoking our council of dams and combining the points Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I'll just quickly talk about the match. So, you know, only half an hour or so talking about Kane on this podcast. Um, Kane was out first. He got a massive pop that was definitely not at all piped in. It was the, it was the <laughs> one pop. It was the one pop on the show that definitely wasn't piped in. Uh, uh, the the pop he got in that. York wasn't piped in. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> We got the little recap of uh, the week before with Kane chasing Stephanie and Kurt getting the win. Got Triple H out with one of his, you know, another one of his iconic musics, which is, you know, the My Time one. The match itself was was actually pretty good. It was a lot more back and forth. To Danny's point about Triple H looking weak, it was a lot more back and forth than I was expecting. And we got some great uh, lines off uh, Benoit on commentary when he gives it, would you rather be that damn good or the best damn technical wrestler in the industry today? It was, you know, Triple H got his greatest hits in, like the running knee. Um, when King goes for a backdrop, he, he got the face buster in, bits and pieces like that. King got his flying clothesline, which is still so damn impressive for a guy that big to launch himself the way he did and hit that clothesline perfect every single time. It was just fantastic. King also, you know, he got his power moves in as well, like the side slam and whatnot. Um, we actually had a nice little back and forth going for finishes. Kane trying for the tombstone, Triple H fighting out, going for the pedigree, Kane back dropping him, and then Kane just grabs Triple H by the throat with both hands, launches him into the corner, but Triple H goes goes right out of the ring, selling it as if he was like chucked over the top rope from virtually in the middle of the ring, um, which all leads into the uh, the DQ finish. I wouldn't normally put a DQ finish on up for it but it uh, involves Kane so fuck it I'm, <laughs> I'm putting it on them but we get Benoit whacking Triple H in the back with a chair hits two German suplexes puts him in the cross face that in my personal opinion oh that was all after Triple H had launched himself over the announce table at Benoit so Triple H started it which to my mind uh, indicates that Triple H knew he couldn't beat Kane but he knew Benoit would go after him so he attacked Benoit just to get Benoit to attack him to get the DQ victory yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I have no fucking clue who uh, heels and faces in these three. <laughs> Kane's a face. Yeah, just because you like him. Yeah. What I will say about this, and to be fair, we haven't seen Triple H against the most prestigious opponents uh, on our reviews so far. You know, we've seen him against Doink the Clown, but this is the best Triple H match that we've seen Easy. so far. Yeah, and that's, and that's my and that's my BS aside. No, no, it is. It, you know, and uh, I've not got the, the the sort of bias for this match. This is the best Triple H match we've seen so far, and I've certainly got it on my top five, probably for that reason. To be perfectly honest, I knew you'd pick it anyway. 
<laughs> well, on a, on, a, on a serious note, like I say, trying to remove all my natural biases, or most of my natural biases, um, I think Kane and Triple H had underrated chemistry in the ring. Yeah. I really do, and that's this is it's surmised by this match. What yeah. did uh, you think to the match, Danny? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd say just a shock of Triple H just looking weak and still it's still having an effect on me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Oh, did you used to read Power Slam magazine? Not much. Yeah, oh, I read it occasionally. They had not, an not article. Oh, when did they, they had an article about 2007-2008 where they said Triple H wasn't in any of the screenshots of the upcoming games. Triple H was not supposed to look weak. I'll find it to you and I'll send it to you. I remember that. And I was like, How, oh my God, it just it just never ends with him, does it? So him looking weak here, even against... Was Kane on pay-per-view? I think he was. I was going to say, if Kane wasn't in... It, it, really, Kane should have been facing Chris Benoit for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he should have. Um, yeah, I mean, Kane and Chris Benoit had been having a rivalry just before this point. Because we, we sort of covered that on the last episode where they were sort of fighting over the number one contendership. And, uh, well, we talk about the best Triple H match. That was fucking rough, that match that we watched between Kane and Chris Benoit. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Kane wasn't on the show. They could have slid him into that tag team table gauntlet bullshit that they had, surely. <laughs> <laughs> the Dudley Boys Invitational Table Match. Yeah, with zero advertising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how else would we get two right to centre tag teams on the same show? That's fair. And, 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 we, and we obviously needed Lowdown. We needed Chaz and D'Lo Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about Chaz. <laughs> I was back there watching the pay per view and I was like, oh yeah, Chaz is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't Beaver Cleavage. Yeah. Well, you, you don't forget about Beaver Cleavage, do you? That's the, that's unfortunately, the unfortunately not. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing's for sure about Beaver Cleavage is you don't forget about Beaver Cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> There's three things in life that are certain. Death, taxes, and you'll never forget about Beaver Cleavage. <laughs> I'm happy to put this one on. Yeah. Yep. Yes, Kane's on the top five. <laughs> If only Jeff Jarrett had been on this show. <laughs> Fuck off. So I, I know you hijacked no. that one, Dan, but are you getting another one now? Or? No, we uh, we invoked um, our Council of Dan's power to uh, unify two points, so it's, it's you up next, mate. Yeah. So I am going to go for the opening match, which was uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Y2J Chris Jericho. Don't hate the player. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise means it's time for Steve-O to booker it better. Where Steve-O will either, if Booker T's on the show, do an impression of Booker T, or if Booker T isn't on the show, then he will insert Booker T into an angle that we've got on the show. Let me tell you something, Cole. I know that all you chicks dig me like you do, Cole. But you see, Cole, whether they be playmates, hoes, or just damn baby dolls. You see, Cole, I see that twinkle in your eye. Which brings me on to you, China. You see, China, I didn't let you out of my life. Quite frankly, 
I'm tired of all your moaning. You're crying. You're, you're whimpering. Book of this. Book of that. Frankly, Charlie, you're just a pain in the ass. <laughs> That's hilarious. Steve, Steve has done it again. Fucking hell. <laughs> he somehow manages to leave it on just a superb punchline. Mm. Like, he just does the pain in the ass line. That was it. It's like I was watching it on going, no, this is, Steve was doing it well. He's, he's doing that all right. And then just that pain in the ass line, just gone again. Definitely. He's... <laughs> <laughs> when I sent the clip over to Steve, it was like, you know, how do you want me to do this impression? And I just said, think less Latino heat and more Harlem heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree with Steve-O that Booker T would have been better in this segment than Eddie Guerrero but unfortunately Booker T is on the other channel at the moment so we're going to have to make do with Eddie Guerrero so he's, as you've just heard cutting a promo to because he's dumped China after his uh, swindled her out of the Intercontinental Championship in that three-way match so we get this promo from Eddie and then Chris um, Jericho comes out and he says for the first time in months this show isn't starting with a 20 minute monologue which is an absolute dig at Triple H loved it loved everything about it yeah and then so would you shut the hell up (laughs) classic Jericho yeah and you know the, the, the welcome to Monday Night Jericho yeah absolutely classic the match starts really quickly there's and hellacious monkey flip. It's not kayfabe because Eddie Guerrero is going to pull his hamstring when he hits the ropes. The observer is going to report that, believe it or not, we're only on the 16th of October, and Eddie Guerrero is the third wrestler to get injured in a monkey flip in October 2000 so far. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. So Eddie Guerrero pulls his hamstring uh, on this episode of Raw. Hooventude Guerrero with the exact same injury, exact same manoeuvre when uh, Rey Mysterio does a monkey flip on Thunder Road. And then on Nitro, on the exact same day, Johnny the Bull tries to sort of flip out of the monkey flip and land on his feet and he breaks his ankle. Oh, fuck it. No, anything to do with ankles just makes me absolutely cringe. I hate anything like that. But I'm kind of glad that it was just just a pulled hamstring with Eddie because the way yeah. he landed he seemed to like I said I don't know how to take a bump but it, he seemed to catch it really like high on his back like almost up towards his neck so I thought he'd done something to his head or neck at the time watching it I thought it was something they'd done in kayfabe and I thought they'd done like this hellacious move and I've actually written in my notes it looked like the best monkey flip ever but mm. clearly it was <laughs> one of the worst <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apart from yeah. goes to show, goes to show. I think all, both, at least me and you, have our levels of in-ring prowess. <laughs> I just watch wrestling, assuming that everything's fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, an injury, and for some reason, you know, a cursed couple of weeks, really, with all these uh, people going down with injuries from it. Eddie's only going to be out for a couple of weeks with the hamstring, fortunately, so it'll sort of back back in action, obviously. Johnny DeBall's not going to be back that quickly. So the match ends in a no contest, although technically it's just the IC title, and 
you know, Eddie was down for a 10 count. So, you know, not for the first time on the, uh, I'll do beg your pardon. I'm thinking of King of the Ring 93 for tomorrow's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're crossing this, we're crossing this stream, Rob. Don't cross it. I was going to say not for the first time on this episode, but uh, uh, not for the first time, uh, including this show and something that happened seven years prior was uh, bad officiating. (laughs) Same company, but <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you make too many notes at the same time. <laughs> See, if either of us was going to do that, I'd expect it to be me. You haven't watched King of the Ring 93 yet. <laughs> Shh. Don't tell James. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so to cover this whole schmoz up, we get uh, X-Pac running out to attack Y2J. Mr. Ass runs in, Danny's favourite wrestler that's not a Basham, uh, and there's a massive pop. We get a line in commentary saying, Mr. Ass has exploded on his former tag team partner. <laughs> JR did a poo joke. <laughs> oh, Christ. That was that. I, I was in stitches. I had to pause the. Uh, I had to pause the show. <laughs> no, I mean this had all the makings of it being a great match. It was a great few seconds of the start. That monkey flip looked, you know, uh, absolutely insane, which it was. What do you reckon, Danny? Yep, yeah, I'd have to agree. That that has to that has to go on because of all that mess. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not one that entered my thinking, but you've you've really talked me around to it with the um, <laughs> yeah, Steve O'Bookering it better aside. Eddie had some real solid heat mm-hmm. in that opening. Yeah. People hated what we did to China. Um, they did, but imagine if it had been Booker. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you, you know we got Jericho's iconic shtick for the time. And he's dig at Triple H, which was just gold. Even 21 years later, I watched that and I just went, ah. He's <laughs> <laughs> got that kind of reaction. I was like, yeah, he's right. Um, and then, of course, it ends on a poo joke, unintentional <laughs> or unintentional. How can I say no to that? It's my brand. <laughs> 20, 20, 20 years out of date and a shit joke. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we've now got four points that we agree on. So, Danny, it's you next. On a bad one, I would actually say the reaction that Road Dog got when he uh, came out, it was, it was, in a word, it was fucking depressing. You <laughs> you remind, a year before that, Road Dog was getting the pop of the night at some points. Tonight, they just didn't care. He tried to do his shtick when he walked into the ring, but it was just like, he, he didn't look bothered either, to be honest with you. But I was just let down by the crowd, to be honest with you. I mean, just, oh, just, no, I would say that would definitely appear on the on the five. To be fair, I, I was quite happy that we got the full Road Dog entrance because uh, last show we reviewed, they talked over his, you know, when he's talking to the crowd with the 1-800-collect advert. <laughs> yeah. Which showed you what they thought of him at the time. Mm. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't. I didn't notice nobody going along with it because this was a point where while Road Dog was doing his stuff, I noticed a couple of signs in the crowd. So I was just like, "Oh, I'll note that down. I'll note that down." I didn't notice he was coming out to. Uh, I think what uh, what me and Robert called the Alex Gracie at Southside uh, 
reaction, which is not even the crickets can be fucked. (laughs) It was pretty bad. I was a little bit disappointed in this match in, in general, and I think this whole segment of the show, the first half of the show, if we, this was one of the you know 95 rods and we'd just had an hour-long show, there was a really hot first hour, and then it sort of started to go downhill. And I do remember there was a show, I think it was a Russo Cornet, although I might be wrong, where it was on track to be the best episode we'd ever seen, and then Billy Gunn comes out and shits on the whole show and brings everything down. <laughs> Um, are, you sure, are you sure it wasn't Triple H? <laughs> well, I mean, Triple H has been doing that in this era, era of Raw, but it felt that uh, Billy Gunn's DX tag team partner had taken up the mantle of cooling down a really hot show. Oh, yeah. The thing is, uh, this match, uh, one, of the, one of the good things that comes later about this show, uh, in my sort of summation of it, is every match, at least, um, or almost every match, seem to have a point. We got recaps of how we got there, our commentary were dropping references in, and I could not for the life of me think of any reason for this match to exist until I remembered that last week we reviewed it when uh, when Robinson Road Dog were tag team partners. That was the only connection. But this show was like six weeks after that. So well, I don't yeah, know what, they've, they've I don't talked about Venus into sensor, haven't they? So now he's... <laughs> I did like it when they when they said that Valvinus looked like an ice cream man. They, they were wowsers trousers, to be fair. They were. You wouldn't want to risk a fight in them. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we'd have got Stevie Richards promo. You know, especially after what we saw of him last week. He yeah. just felt like a bit of a waste. I mean, you know, he, he did a decent for, for the manager that stands on the outsides, and you just get him, you know, banging on the ring and the facial expressions. Did as well as he could, but but certainly in a massively diminished role from the last time we saw him. Mm. And the match itself was fine. There was nothing terrible about it. It's its biggest sin is that it's forgettable. Until the very end. Because we get a fucking naked Midian <laughs> out to deck Stevie Richards. And the fact they're actually blurring it out as if he had his, as if he was full pickle out on national telly. <laughs> but then Naked Midian fucks it up and ends up uh, costing Road Dog the match. Now, Dan, how do we know that he was naked? He could have been wearing the belt of the real world's champion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, they've reprised the, uh, the pixelation from 1992. Yeah. Well, they spent all that money on it and they only got to use it once. <laughs> Apart from the Survivor Series 91, where they're using that crappy oval <laughs> over it. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> but um, sorry, back to the point. I can't, I can't, in good conscience, put it on the top five because I didn't notice the crickets at the time. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. So, what's your next one, Dan? I think it's about that time where we need to talk about the main event because this was a stacked six-man tag. The Rock and the Hardys versus Kurt Angle, Edge and Christian. And we may have not got a monologue to or a promo segment to start the show, but we sure as fuck got one leading into the main event. <laughs> <laughs> Which in this is this is the real sort of downside of it. Kurt Angle's out, Stephanie's managing him. She's saying, introducing a guest host of Sunday Night Heat on MTV. 
They'll also be interviewing the current WWF champion, The Rock, and the man who this Sunday will defeat The Rock, your Olympic hero and mine, Kurt Angle. Did you ever have, like, theatre groups coming to your school and put on, like, <laughs> daft little skits about, like, the dangers of insert flavour of the month here? I'll do these, like, Amdram-like workshops and shit like that. That's what this felt like. The best bit about it was the asshole chance directed at Kurt. <laughs> it was, in a way, it was so bad it kind of did its job because it made me really hate both Kurt and Stephanie. There was no sort of real chemistry there. It, it did feel like two people were like, right, we need to do this, but let's rehearse it like this and then we'll get our points across and then we can have these lines and... It did its job, but I'm not sure it did it in the right way, if that makes sense. But the end sort of justified the means in that it made me hate him. Mm, yeah. Um, a little bit conflicted as to whether the promo bit was good or not. What was it? I'm glad a really tenuous link as well to accuse The Rock of being involved in the Rikishi and Stone Cold stuff. Isn't, it was like, isn't, isn't Detroit also known as Motor City? <laughs> it is how fitting because this is a, this is the city where the rock just happened to leave his bag open and Rikishi just happened to take his keys and run over Austin. It's like okay, so you've taken you've got Motor City car run over. That is that that's not the logical leap that you think it is. No. <laughs> In all fairness, though, Dan, you're thinking that's like a really tenuous link. Imagine being D- um, Jr. thinking he's De- in Des Moines, Iowa, and it's like at the end of the show. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, well, well, cars are made in Detroit, and he got hit by a car, but that's the only link I can see. We're in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just, he just pulls, a, pulls a Ric Flair in about 2015, 2016, where I'm pretty sure he was on Rod. He seemed inebriated, and he just he started his... He was, they weren't in the city. He said he just started his promo with, am I in St. Louis? <laughs> Sounding that level of pissed. <laughs> uh, no, no, Ricky, you're not. Did did nobody tell you? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, no, you're not in St. Louis. Maybe don't be on TV. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you're quite obviously shit hammered. Um, <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so yeah, the promo was a, a bit rough, but it, it ended up kind of working. And then we had the match itself. The Rock starts out with, uh, I believe, Edge. And it's more it's sort of similar to what we saw last week, Rob, with the with the heels taking over on the rock and you know cutting off the ring and pulling the classic sort of double and triple teams. Then the rock gets the tag to Matt Hardy. We get a sort of rally where you know the the whip edge to the corner and hit the poetry in motion. Um, edge gets tied in the ropes and beat him down. But then. Uh, the heels are swiftly back on top again. And one of the one of the main takeaways from this match, I don't know if he was hurt, but he can't have been for what he did later in the match. We got fuck all Jeff Hardy. Yeah, we didn't get much. Although I, I was a little bit suspect in this match because I was watching this match and I thought Edge and Christian look awfully like the Conquistadors. Um, I don't know where you're getting that from. <laughs> um, I just I, I think they've got um. I just don't see how they fit all the hair under the masks. <laughs> mm, funny you should mention that. Yeah, I don't Maybe that's something we'll come on to later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it was decent enough tag match. You know, six man tag, uh, six man tags are never my favourite. There was a cool little bit of heel interference where uh, they were having a triple team in the corner. Edge got tagged in, and Matt Hardy was trying to fight back. Christian was within punching distance, so he just rabbit punched Matt Hardy right in the back of the head. <laughs> but the thing is, if if that was like if if somebody actually just punches you in the back of the head, that stops you dead in your tracks, and that is exactly what it did. We got some uh, we got some interference from Lita as well, uh, which was always cool to see. At this point, she was very much in a in the phase of interfering in the matches, hitting the Hurricane Rana off the uh, off the top rope. Kurt drags Lita out, and Stephanie uh, jumps Lita from behind, ramming her into ring post, taking her out. Uh, the Rock comes back into a huge pop, takes out. Kurt Angle with punches hits that awesome snap belly to belly that he did uh, off the Irish whip. Takes out Edge and Christian. Kurt's, Kurt and The Rock could just sort of have a little back and forth. Kurt's getting, getting on top. And then finally, Jeff does something. All he's done so far is the poetry in motion. And just in the background, you just see Jeff on the top rope just dive to the floor to take out Edge. And it's just like, it's actually quite well shot because you do just see a flash of. Of Jeff going and uh, going off the top and, and hitting edge, um, which is really cool. We get the rocket in his class, sort of classic spine buster set up the people's elbow. Christian interrupts it. Rock knocks him out of the ring, hits the rock bottom on angle, but the rest distracted. Stephanie interferes, dragging the rock off. Kurt, rock grabs Stephanie by the hair. Edge and Christian make the save, clothesline rock out. Jeff goes to the top again. Stephanie twats him with a tire iron before he can hit the swans on. Yeah, I love the tire iron. Yeah, I think she got that from Repo Man. <laughs> Wait, that's, an, that's another link to uh, the Motor City, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and Big Daddy Cool Diesel, who's also on King of the Ring '93. In fact, this <laughs> is <his> debut. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, Angle hits the Olympic slam and pins Jeff Hardy. Who I'm pretty sure isn't the legal man. But rock, rock, rock bottoms both Edge and Christian before gesturing, just bring it to Kurt Angle uh, to end the show and send the people home happy despite the heels winning. The, the match was was half decent, but I sort of I wanted to put it on because the the conflict between a half decent match, they managed to send the crowd home happy, but that promo beforehand was just a an effective clusterfuck, and I'm still not sure whether I like it or not. Does that? bit of the start but also at the end this show ran about 45 seconds too long because they had this whole hot thing of you know the, the rock sort of rock bombing christian and edge you know, and all this sort of stuff they play the rocks music end the show just end the show there and no they play the replays the show kurt and stephanie on the ramp by that end of that 45 seconds it feels completely dead do that in the arena by all means, but for the TV show, end it hot. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It did um, it, it did detract from it somewhat. I'm hitting hindsight. I'll be honest, I was too busy uh, finishing off a few note bits to uh, to pay that much attention to it. What did you reckon, Danny? I just wasn't a fan of this match. I think the biggest problem I had was the finish because watching like WWE in the 2000s or even TNA had this as well They where they would do this opponents team up against uh, to face the other opponents the challenger would typically pin the champion and I was kind of expecting that but when Kurt Angle just pinned Jeff Hardy like it was just nothing it was like oh it was oh he just got a win over Jeff Hardy it, it didn't feel like Kurt Angle was the number one contender on this show at all 
from him getting dressed down backstage to this, really, and to that promo, as you said. And there just wasn't a lot of Rock Kurt Angle interaction, in my opinion. Not enough for me. The one thing I'd say, at least Kurt Angle in his promo, regardless of how well he delivered it, was saying that, you know, everyone's talking about the Stone Cold Rikishi angle of what happened a year ago. A year ago was when I debuted, and in that time I've won King of the Ring, the European Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, and the pay-per-view. I'm going to win the World Championship, and that's something that Triple H hasn't been able to achieve in his whole lifetime, and I'm going to do it in a year. Mm. That was the Uh, one bit of the promo that I actually really liked, the (laughs) fact that they put over Angle's achievements, which I think to this day haven't really been matched in terms of a single wrestler in the first year on, on TV in WWE. Apart from, well, not even Lesnar, because Lesnar never, so Lesnar never pissed about in the mid card, did he? Mm. Mm. No, no, he, you know he was obviously, you know, going and collecting all those accolades and whatever, uh, and I thought that was really good. And obviously, you know, six days from this episode of Raw, we're going to have a new uh, WWF champion. So a little bit of a worry that he's not putting great promos, but the Rocket is certainly uh, strapped to him. <laughs> yeah, it is, and but. Like I say, it might not have been good, but it somehow managed to work despite it being a little bit shit. Yeah. I liked that element of it. As you say, I wasn't completely sold on the Stephanie stuff. And Stephanie was just too all over the show in this era of Raw for me. Most managers would get involved once, you know, maybe do a, a slight little trip or whatever, but it was it just seemed constant with Stephanie in this era. Um, a fan drinking game. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I did actually see MVP at a beer festival once, so I mean, I don't know how many beers you've got to drink to see that. Depends when it's in your eye line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Rob just staring at him as he next pint after pint for as long as he can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on my top five, to be perfectly honest, although I've, I've run out of my top five. So what, what do you think, Danny? With... All of the champions, with the Hardy Boys being tag team champions, Lita being women's champion, and uh, The Rock being WWF champion. Yes, I forgot to mention that. Mm. Now, as I was saying, I just didn't think it, it just didn't it wasn't my cup of tea for this. Um, I would have had Kurt Angle pin The Rock or The Rock pin Kurt Angle to lead into the pay per view, or one of the other teams pin the other ones. I just I expected more Rock. Kangle interaction, but um, and I don't, I didn't like Stephen McMahon running in as well, but yeah, I wouldn't put this on now. What What would you have thought if the Conquistadors had run in? Oh, five stars, five stars. <laughs> 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 like two doinks at uh, King of the Ring '93. Well, you haven't got to that point then, clearly, Dan. So. I've run out of my top five, so do you have any more, Danny? I have one more, but I don't think I don't know if it will go on to the top five. It was actually the way Billy Gunn was dressed on this episode. He actually looked like Buff Bagwell in that uh, top. <laughs> oh, well, well, that just goes on without any challenge because both yeah. of the stuff and the girls just can't get enough. <laughs> no, I'll just point out. Roadog, Billy Gunn, and X Park. Well, Roadog and X Park were just dressed in outdated DX attire. I don't think DX were even a thing at this point, but I'm sure that's why Billy Gunn didn't get dressed because he was 
awaiting new ring attire and he didn't want to dress up in his DX gear. Um, <laughs> but he did, regardless of all that, he did cut a really good backstage rant on Mick Foley. And I really enjoyed that. He's always been the guy that's been better backstage cutting problems than out in the ring. Definitely. And he was really fired up for that. And it is a perfect setup. I just wish, <laughs> did he save his face in Eddie Guerrero at the pay-per-view? Yeah. Yeah. And Eddie Guerrero was an injured Eddie Guerrero at that point as well. And uh, I, I think Billy, this is peak Billy Gunn look, to be honest with you. It kind of reminds me of Rene Goulet, but um, <laughs> with that hairstyle. <laughs> but I'm sure it was about two, three more weeks and he was he was having the Patrick Swayze look. They made him cut his hair and uh, he had and he was just the one, which is just, I hate that ring, that, the one Billy Gunn. What is that? <laughs> I think they were trying to cash in on the Matrix a year late. Oh. <laughs> so when you're saying he's looking like um, Patrick Swayze, you're saying that nobody puts Billy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't really thought about Billy. <laughs> Billy Gunn slash Mr. Ass's ring gear. <laughs> Let's not forget as well, he wrestled in that ring gear. Yeah. They had an impromptu match. It didn't last very long because of the interference. But actually, it's a wider point. The whole sort of Jericho, Eddie, Billy Gunn, X-Pac interference stuff was actually quite well sprinkled throughout the show, you know, from with the X-Pac promo as well. Um, and what we covered, uh, we covered that last week of uh, that interference. So they're obviously running with it. It was um, sort of relatively prominent. I've put in my notes, X-Pac comes out and then in a different colour crickets yeah <laughs> at least he had the really cool prior pyro when he was in the ring mm. yeah, nobody, nobody gave a shit did they? i mean it's not like xbox having go away he i mean xbox had go to the concession stand he really didn't he <laughs> yeah he'll just go back to nitro he <laughs> stay stay at the concession concession stand he that's what he had serve but... me my popcorn <laughs> But I, it's just... <laughs> I was just going to say Xbox sponsored by Dulux Pure White Emulsion. <laughs> One thing I did like with Billy Gunn was um, when he got hit by Eddie Guerrero with the IC title and he rolled around like Bruno Fernandez being lightly brushed past. Yeah. I mean, the thing I love about this Xbox Mr. Ass match is the winner appeared to be Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it just seemed like the writers just didn't have any plan for DX after they split up. I mean, Triple H was already on creative meetings at this point. But for for X-Pac, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, it was just like, who gives a fuck about you? Get Just go out and wrestle and your old DX characters. It was just, I didn't feel bad for them. And then they just turned, I mean, what did X-Pac turn into after this? Dan will be on he, he went on. He went on the. Uh, he went on the Indies and tried to hit a Bronco Buster and split his bum up. Oh God! <laughs> I blocked that out of my mind. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> and to answer the question, who gives a who gave a fuck about these guys? You did, Danny. You yes. did, because Billy Gunn was the only one out of the three of them who said, "No, I'm not going out in my DX gear. Fuck you." I'd rather dress like Buff Bagwell than go out dressing that shit. No, I'm not having the top hat. Fuck that. <laughs> and I'm not going to sculpt my eyebrows and be as vain as Buff Bagwell, but I'm going to fucking dress like him. <laughs> I think I'm getting talked around to this, you know. 
<laughs> I think we should put it on just because we've mentioned Buff Bagwell, and I mean he was over at this point. <laughs> yes, the skinny calves and all. Sorry, like I said, I, I was listening to the uh, the Crime and Sports episode about him getting the calf implants and all that, and just just wow. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm happy to put Buff Bagwell on uh, the top five for this episode of Raw. No, Billy Gunn. <laughs> X Pack versus Buff Bagwell. What do you think, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it. Listen, Chris Benoit is now Stevie Richards, and Billy Gunn is now Buff Bagwell. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> a, a poor man's Buff Bagwell. <laughs> buff Bag, Buff Bag, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like uh, one of those UK shows, isn't it? You know, the um, shows with the trivia acts with the UK Undertaker and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> They've got WWF Buff Bagwell versus X Pac. <laughs> <laughs> Buff Bag Billy versus Y Pac. Why is this so funny? He's got twenty six name. He's got twenty six letters to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> alphabet pack. <laughs> oh fuck! It's a we get an alphabet spaghetti sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunities. <laughs> So what the hell? Let's stick X Pac versus Mr. Ass on the top one by Chris Jericho on the top five. Just because it is tickled us. Well, the only thing, I, only other thing I was going to bring up was Dudley Boys versus Conquistadors, and I, I don't think I can make that as funny as we've made that. No. <laughs> oh man. So despite the apathy that people had for X Pac, he's got on a top five. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Billy Gunn's got him up. Billy Gunn's dragged him along by proxy. If anything, yeah, was... X Pac's barely a plus one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> six versus Buff Bagwell, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for an ad break, uh, where we go through the ads that were featured on the show. So we had the M&M's WWF Slam of the Week. Ooh. <laughs> Another sweet sponsorship, but as I recall, the uh, the slam of the week, it wasn't actually a slam, was it? It was somebody being run over. A year ago. A year ago, yeah. It was Eminem's slam of the week sponsored by Dan, because it was a year out of date. <laughs> We've got an advert for Burger King. That's a new one, as far as I recall. Yeah, but, well, um, I mean, obviously they've been calling Jerry Lala Burger King for years. For years, haven't they? Have they? Yeah, oh God, oh, they've yeah. been chanting. and mm. Yeah. A- anyone in a rivalry against him calls him a Burger King. Uh, I just, yeah, I've never really paid that much attention to Jeffrey Lawler, thankfully. He's <laughs> more like a hamburglar than a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> There's an advert for Starburst, Fruit Chews, which I think are just Starburst. Yeah, I think so. More sweets, love it. Advent for WWFshopzone.com, which JR described as the biggest WWF shop in the world. Uh, hmm. Does it mean in terms of what stock they can offer? Because it's definitely not floor space. 
Well, who else is going to have a WWF shop? Exclusively WWF. Uh, the one in WWF New York. Oh, controversial. No, true. It, it existed. I've seen it. Fair enough. Presto presents No Mercy. And Presto, we're a kitchenware company, and we got an advert for the Presto Pizzazz pizza oven. I had a laugh with Presto sponsorship because, in my mind, it was the long-defunct British supermarket company that preceded Safeway. So I just thought that it had taken a while for Presto to crack into America because America today still has Safeways. Wow. So I'm assuming that in about 10 years' time, America's going to get Morrison's. (laughs) (laughs) And then you have to go and work there, Dan. No, I I stopped working there long ago. (laughs) I don't know if you caught this on commentary. JR mentioned that Lita had a new cookbook out. I did, actually. And the reason I caught this was because I, I couldn't quite make out and I didn't bother to go back and check whether it was Lita that had a cookbook out or if it was a WWF cookbook from the time which i actually had because yeah, i remember i remember making i remember making the acolytes beer bread <laughs> the, there was definitely a couple of uh, wbf cookbooks and some of the recipes were extremely basic uh, he did say it was Lita's cookbook but who knows that could have been he thought uh, he was in iowa <laughs> yeah it reminded me of the loading screens on um the triple a game where he said dr wagner loves to eat tin tuna so that's his recipe. <laughs> so in terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show, Graham at Good Bad Wrestle actually had us on the uh, podcast with him. So that, that was a prolonged shout-out. Yeah, it was a bloody good time as well. Really enjoyed recording with Graham. Yeah. And one day we'll actually get Matt on as well. When well, he's not talk- off gallivanting. Talking about Matt, uh, Matt at the Matt Attack UK shouted us out on Radio Techers. And uh, said that we should go on and do a football review. So maybe. Although to be fair, I'm I'm not really a football fan. I'm just a Huddersfield fan. <laughs> let's uh, let, let's go back and watch um, Liverpool versus Huddersfield Town from 1959, um, <laughs> which which actually was. And uh, we talked about this the other day, and I didn't know this, but uh, I didn't mention. Uh, well, I forgot to mention it at the time. So when Bill Shankly left Huddersfield to go to Liverpool. His first game in charge of Liverpool was against Huddersfield, and Liverpool oh. lost. Fair enough. Yeah. So Shankly, it's, Shankly, it's the it's the Bill Shankly version of throwing for content. It, it, yeah. It's the sound switch. He should have stayed. Chris Bellis at Real Chris Bellis suggested using the Griff Inn as um, the location for the season one rap party. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> Don't mind that if you can make your way over to York. I'll, I'll happily. Uh, w- w- the Griffin is proudly serving whatever you care to bring. Um. <laughs> Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that his phone would be on fire after UTT bang bang and chain wrestling on the same day. So <laughs> how did two of them add me on? Five. Is that too it, bad? It, <laughs> that fire. <laughs> no. It's like Will Griggs on fire. Still smoldering. <laughs> this is a shout out um, that I should have come weeks ago. I've only just become aware that uh, Frank Jofo from At Jofo at the Ring has been leaving us reviews on Podbean uh, on various episodes. So uh, I'm sorry we didn't realize you were doing that, Frank, and thank you very much for 
leaving those, it's very much appreciated. It really is, and I f- forgot that we were on Podbean. <laughs> we're available on all good pa- um, podcast providers. Um, and some shit ones. Yeah, I mean, we do have an app that sort of gives us, tells us when people have left reviews. Obviously, that one has slipped the net, so we're very grateful for those, even though they're historic reviews. But to be fair to the guys at Joe from In The Ring, they normally shout us out, so we're very much appreciative of all the support. Always, yeah. Yeah. Andy at Bam Bam Podcast said that we're bringing the big guns out, having Lauren and Noddy Holder on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was uh, it was a fun time. Uh, Rob, <laughs> referencing an advert that I couldn't remember and then making it a focal point of the show. Uh, love it. And it was it was great to have Lauren on as well. Yeah. Even if she did threaten me several times. <laughs> the boss, James, at 90s Wrestling Pod, said that it was another great episode. He's not wrong. <laughs> uh, Dan at Dan Not Daniel just said gold burl. <laughs> and I believe I replied with exactly what I'm going to say now. I was so proud of that. <laughs> California at California WZWA said that it must have been so dry to chew on Scott Hall's contract. Yeah, not something I'd ever considered, but yeah, it must have been awful. Unless Goldberg just has an abnormally like as has a like abnormal saliva production. Maybe that's why he always inhaled the smoke. He was just trying to dry his mouth out. Maybe he knew that Scott Holland insisted on his contract being printed on a rice paper. <laughs> Sally Powell from his at chain wrestling account said that people should check out all the podcasts that Dan's on. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a good week. I mean, good cop, bad cop come out, and then uh, me appearance on chain wrestling, and obviously UTT. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a laugh. I've uh, I, I decided since Mags was having the week off that I'd uh, I'd take over a few of his bookings. Just going back to Carl's point about how dry that contract was. Uh, Lauren at Lauren underscore AJRA said that she couldn't remember giving a legal opinion on the state of the contract once it's in Goldberg's intestines. <laughs> yeah, some might say I took that a bit too far, asking uh, what what happened if he wrote in his own feces, but I don't think I did. Following that episode where we discussed the women's tag team match and I said that it had been booked like bullseye Chris Mangle at uh, Mangle underscore Chris had tagged us into a tweet where he'd found someone called Jim Bowen who'd um, been talking about Fozzie and (laughs) he tagged us in uh, for the bullseye link Uh, it turns out it was someone else called Jim Bowen but uh, yeah let's all gang up on him because (laughs) he's been booking the women's tag team division in Raw Yeah, guilty by association Exactly. Steve-O, at Total Steve-O, said that he laughed out loud at uh, Dan saying he doesn't give a shit about uh, what Graham's doing in his personal life as long as he's listening. <laughs> and I, I, that was right. That was clipped entirely without context. <laughs> I did I did recover that, saying that it sounded more uh, more sort of dismissive than I meant it to. Steve-O, you, you turd. <laughs> <laughs> Stop with those facts. <laughs> Stop taking my words and using them against me. <laughs> so now it's time for the award section of the show. So, Danny, what would you give match of the night? 
match of the night to me there were a lot of matches on this card that just ended with sloppy finishes dq finishes run-ins and stuff so i'd have to give it to i'll just have to give it to the main event because even though that i think there were two matches on this show that had clean finishes neither of them really impressed me but the main event uh, at least had some good action in there and it it had a sloppy finish but not it wasn't too bad compared to the other ones yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd go for the main event and pretty much the same reasons. Dan, what about you? It's got to be one of the matches that we put on the top five for being an entertaining wrestling match and that didn't end with a, with a sloppy or dirty finish. It's Al Snow versus William Regal. The obvious choice. I appreciate I where you guys are coming from. I thought we were going to have to remind you that Kane ended in a sloppy finish then. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, it was as much as I enjoyed Triple H versus Kane, it was um, just Al Snow Regal. The, the entertainment value of that match is off the charts. And for all the stuff Al did, Regal's facial expressions, and it's, it's a good match in its own right. Yeah. You know, the bell to bell action is actually solid. And I think for the actual, in terms of the actual in ring action, take the finishes out of it. I genuinely do think this was one of the better shows in terms of actual in ring action that probably, if not the best, that we've actually looked at. No, I would say the WCW with the US title tournament is probably the best in ring that we've looked at. I'd forgotten about that one. That that was really good. But yeah, it's, it's kind of up there. So Danny, what would you give the moment of the night to? Moment of the night would be where Rikishi lords Stone Cold out to the parking lot. It made you feel like, oh, Austin's going to kill him before the pay-per-view much more fitting lead into the pay-per-view and I think this should have ended Raw to be honest with you because that was the what everyone was in my opinion buying the pay-per-view for it had a much uh, obviously had a year's build but yeah I would say that was the moment of the night when Kishi uh, drove out of those boxes to run over Stone Cold yeah I think that would have been a better end to be fair to you Mm. Dan Uh, for me I've actually changed mine uh, mid-show uh, I was going to give it to Regal winning the European Championship because it's so rare for us to have a, a singles title change and it's doubly nice to land on, a, on William Regal winning one. But I'm actually going to give it to Chris Jericho uh, saying that we're not starting the show with a 20-minute 20 uh, <laughs> minute promo segment. It was refreshing and it's probably going to help when we give the final marks of the show, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. My moment of the night is British Al Snow. I mean... He's not as good as my headcanon friend Charles Snow because he had a certain choix de vie. But, yeah, I think he did very well in his uh, British uh, gimmick. Yeah, he did. Danny, who would you give your MVP of the night to? Definitely Rikishi. Because Rikishi showed, as I said before, Rikishi showed me a different side of him. I'd never seen this heel Rikishi. I've seen clips and stuff like that on YouTube, but never seen this interview. Um, yeah, I'll definitely say Rikishi. Super. Dan? Um, I've actually talked myself out of what I've written down, and now I'm scrabbling around for something else, because um, I was going to give it to Kurt Angle, because he was sort of sprinkled throughout the show, and then, you know, he was in, he, you know, had the promo, they had the main event, and all of that, and he was actually a really good heel in the main event, but... Because of how conflicted I'm about the promo, I'm really, I'm, I don't really want to give it give him MVP now, so I'm just going to give it to Kane. <laughs> yeah, because he's Kane. 
I was going to go for Kurt Angle for pretty much all the reasons that you just dismissed and said he shouldn't be. But yeah, he, he was kind of omnipresent on the show. So, you know, let's play the Kurt Angle drinking game while he watched this episode of Raw. Um, so, Danny, the most important award of the night, who would you give the Rene Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to? Billy Gunn, because he looked like a young Rene Goulet with that hairstyle. <laughs> it's just a shame that they made him cut it three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Billy Gunn. Excellent. Dan? Billy Gunn was, was well in with a shout because that was, it's hard to describe it. It looked kind of flowing, but also like quite light and feathery. Mm. It was definitely unique. But for me, it's got to be Billy Gunn's former tag team partner, Road Dog, for those terrible braids he was still rocking. <laughs> I'm going to go with Edge, and the reason I'm going with Edge is that his hair is so long, it makes you question whether it could possibly be a conquistador. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So, Danny, what would you give your sign of the night to? There was, I think it was during the opening, where somebody had a a pair of hands that were shaped like 3D and on one of them it said testy and then on the other one it said fire so it looked really cool there was a lot of effort put into that I would say and yeah yeah definitely so I, I missed that one well no so that sounds cool I saw that one and I wondered if it was a tie-in to some kind of uh, sorority or fraternity or whatever <clears throat> Um, so I spent an enormous, yeah, I, I sp- well, yeah, I spent an inordinate amount of time looking at stuff like that, and then realised, oh yeah, testify. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to change my answer now, just for the fact that the one Danny picked confused Rob. <laughs> yeah, my limited understanding of the Greek alphabet. Um, <laughs> It just, it just reminded me of, um, of we're going back to Simpsons references. I can't remember exactly what episode it is, but I'm sure it's Homer. He's like posing as a marine or an ex-marine or something, and he he, he goes to say Semper Fi, but he just says Semper Fudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've only ever used Greek letters in maths. <laughs> so Dan, what would you give your sign of the night to? I'm breaking my streak. I've not gone back to the uh, the top of my list yet, but uh, let's have a look. So working backwards in the main event, there was somebody just had a sign that said, I am cold stoned, which I'm assuming means it was a drafty arena and they'd uh, indulged on, in some of the devil's lettuce. There was somebody who's either a time traveller or just a bad speller, and they said King Kurt, NXT, WWF champion. So I think they were predicting the rise of NXT. I saw that one, yeah. Yeah, uh, somebody had a... Uh, a sign that said, what's your angle, Steph? Which I thought was a quite a nice little play on words uh, with the whole Stephanie Kurt thing going on. Somebody had very high confidence in themselves where they just written a sign that said, this sign is that damn good. And it was all right. It wasn't brilliant, but it, it was at least noticeable. I was time traveling again. There was a guy with a sign that said, Dan, with an arrow pointing downwards. So I look forward to attending that show. A sign that was very on brand for us just said beer me, which fair, I can get on board with that. Another one that was quite on brand was drunk 24-7. Then just a couple going towards the beginning of the show, somebody had written China deserves better than Latino and then C hyphen H-E-A-T, so Latino cheat instead of Latino cheat. And somebody had a sign that tickled me because it simply said pull my finger. 
<laughs> but my sign of the night is an anti Triple H sign that says the game plays with himself, which is basically calling Triple H a wanker. <laughs> you have pretty much gone for all my signs that I've noted down there. Interesting enough, there was a sign that said vote Bosch, and after the campaign, they'd had to rock the boat that we'd seen on the previous episode. At least some politics were uh, getting brought in, so potentially they've got people to uh, to vote. Yeah, I was going to go with China deserves better than Latino cheat, although, as we all know, it would have been better if it was Harlem heat rather than Latino heat. <laughs> <laughs> Booker T would have done that to <laughs> and I do apologise while you're going through the signs there, Dan. I did pull a funny face at you. It's because I just opened the Weekwood Ales Mad Hatter that I've just got, which is a strong Ruby Pale Ale six percenter. Um, it's got notes of licorice in, and it's not great. Fair enough. I'm uh, I'm making my way through a lovely brewery, uh, Conrad Stout. It's not Conrad Thompson. It's Conrad with a K, and uh, it's ten point four percent. I didn't realise it when I bought it. Uh, just uh, just taking a swig and oof, that's uh, that's some strong stuff. It actually tastes stronger than that 17% of that I tried last week that nearly made me go blind. Wow. I've had some decent beers from Lovely Brewery though. Oh yeah, it, it, it's not a bad it's not a bad drop. It, it's tasty, but it's just the uh, it just caught me a little bit off guard. <laughs> so Danny, what would you rate this show out of ten? Well, to be honest, with the amount of finishes and stuff like that like the sloppy finishes uh and on this show only having two clean finishes this and but it was it to be honest it was an interview heavy show so i would definitely give this a six because that's my my style of show to be honest with you i even like that tna impact episode that dan uh, talks about uh, (laughs) that's one of my favorite shows because uh, it gives you a chance. I mean, they could have just stuck Rikishi in a match here, but instead they gave him two really strong segments to get his heel character over. So, yep, I'm giving this a six, which is above average. It's like above average Mike Sanders. He's not great. He's just slightly above average. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. But for me, uh, the first thing I've got to say is I'm uh, agreeing with Jericho. It's nice to have a role that didn't start with an extended chat. Just a shame that match got curtailed due to injury. The tag match between T- uh, Test and Albert and APA, the match bell to bell was all right. It was it, it was Mark Sanders, <laughs> slightly above average. I thought the middle point of this show with Al Snow versus Regal, Triple H versus Kane, the Stone Cold stuff, although, Rob, I know you don't agree with the promo, but even, you know, even an average Stone Cold promo is pretty damn good. It made for a really good uh, middle portion of the show. I thought they did a really good job of sprinkling replays and uh, and flashbacks throughout to explain why matches were happening. You know, chucking bits from Sunday Night Heat or SmackDown or or a year ago. It felt like almost every match had a reason for being, a point, and that sort of leads into the the story elements being for me being fairly well told. It, last week I said it felt like Kresge was trying to book like Russo and failing. This week it felt like Kresge was succeeding in what he was trying to do. The, the story elements were sprinkled throughout the show. It was much more on point. It was much more digestible. From a production standpoint, the vast majority was good. Lawless commentary is always going to be a low point. The only other sort of slightly negative thing I could think of is that the, the No Mercy graphics looked a bit crap. 
but at least they weren't as bad as Fall Brawl. And the crowd was a difficult one because there were points where they were legitimately up for it and there were points where it was an obvious piping. Obviously not Kane's entrance. And <laughs> like I said, in terms of in-ring action, it's one of the best shows we've covered. So the, uh, the in-ring matches have to sort of taken a fairly generous view and not really factored the finishes into it, but I gave it a 7 out of 10. The promos... I thought were really good throughout. So again, a seven. The production, only bad bits were Lawler's commentary and and, and the graphics. So that's a nine. Storyline, it was it was on the high side for me. It was all it was sprinkled everything. It was sprinkled throughout. Some of it was in, was a little bit interwoven. The vast majority of stuff had a reason. It, it engaged me. So that's an eight. Uh, the fan response, I gave a, an admittedly generous six to. It would have been more, but for the obvious piping in. But when they were up, they were really up. Uh, so that, to me, averages out at a 7.5 out of 10. Believe it or not, Dan, I've also gone for 7.5 out of 10. Fuck off. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there were quite a few bits that I liked on this show. I think in terms of the Kresge episodes that we've watched for, for these reviews, I think this is the best one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Triple H K match. Uh, I enjoyed the Rikishi Austin. It started out so hot with Eddie and Jericho. I mean, and I, I know now, you know, since I've gone away and done some research, that that was pretty disastrous. But it felt awesome at the time, if that makes sense. So I'm I'm, I'm trying to review it in what I saw rather than what I know. Although obviously, yeah, wrestlers getting injured shouldn't be. <laughs> Something that I enjoy, really, you know, but I guess that was just the thing. To me, that this, again, and it felt like that Russo O'Connor episode where, where it was, like, really on for a high review and then it just got killed a little bit in the in the middle that, that stopped it reaching maybe those 8.59s sort of territory, but a, a very good show. Again, this is one that hasn't got a review on Cage Match, unfortunately. Although that's probably because everybody lumped onto wrestling data and went on there because they've had a load of people vote on this. And when they get a load of people, they go out of their out of fives and into percentages. And this got um, 68%. So about a seven out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, be- between sort of all of us, um, it- it's getting pretty decent marks, really. Yeah. And on a completely different note, I've uh, I've just noticed that I'm wearing a new headset tonight and I've been trying to figure out where to put my mic to get it out of the way. I figured that my beard is now so long I can actually hide it behind my facial hair. Superb. How, how's, the, uh, how's the cactus uh, Red Bull, Danny? Lovely. It's really tasty. It's definitely my favourite drink. The, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really nice. Have you had it before? I've never even seen it before. I never knew it existed no. until you were on the show. I'll have to keep um, an eye out. I'm actually a Red Bull collector. Um, I collect them from all across the world and stuff like that. But the UK have only just got this. In America, it's, oh, I think it's called Dragon something. But, yeah, it's the same flavour. But, yeah, really nice. Sound. Excellent. So, Danny, where can people find you? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> <laughs> And you can find Danny on an either upcoming or already out episode of Bang Bang Podcast. 
and I'm sure it'll have been awesome, mate, because Andy runs a fine show and you're uh, you're just a cracking guest to have on. Thank you. I'll slip you the fiver after. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> just remind him that he's drinking laughable purse. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe call him a cunt once a while. <laughs> Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, where I'm usually tweeting wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. You can also find me on that 90s wrestling podcast on the monthly pay-per-view reviews. <laughs> the show's available on Twitter at 90s Wrestling Pod as well as YouTube. So give it a like, give it a subscribe. And you know what? Do the same for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. Rate it five stars. It's not for our egos, as I say, on crime and sports and small town murder. It just bumps us up the charts and helps the algorithm. Well, I mean, I've always said that I'd rather have realistic feedback rather than something to massage my ego. So I'd be grateful for any review at any star rating, really. You know, if, if you've got comments about the show, then I'd be more than happy to take them on board. Um, I, I, just, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to hijack the crime and sports thing. No, no, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, we will find those reviews and shout you out. Um, sorry, Frank, it's taken so long to find your reviews on Podbean, but uh, we did find them in the end. So, you know, we will try and find those and shout you out if you do post a review. In terms of the show, you can find us on our own channel if you search UTT Podcast or Booking the Territory. You can also find us on that Nice Wrestling Podcast. I've already mentioned quite a bit that... We'll be reviewing King of the Ring 93, so you can see all the uh, in-jokes that I was making on this show on that episode. But in terms of myself, you can follow me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers, so I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. So the next episode that we're going to go to is going to be the very next week from this show. It's the highest-rated episode that Chris Kresge has on uh, TNT. So it'd be yeah. interesting if you can, you know, if they do the ratings equal quality. I mean, it's only a week later. How could it possibly go wrong? Well, we said that before, but uh, who knows? <laughs> Thank you for listening.